So this morning we're going to continue on in our series that we started a couple weeks ago called From Death to Life as, as we kind of continue to work our way towards Easter, working our way towards Easter Sunday and looking at the resurrection and, and what that, that means for us and how that applies to us. But this morning we're going to, we're going to go ahead and we're going to look at uh, the night in the garden. We're going to kind of focus on, on that part of the story where Jesus is, is with the disciples and, and they have the Passover meal and then they head off into the garden. And so that's going to be kind of our focus this morning is looking at how Jesus is betrayed and arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. But in the past two weeks, just to give you a little bit of a recap, the first week we started just by talking about Jesus' birth and, and some childhood stories and just to kind of give us a little bit of context about Jesus' life to help us to understand you know, kind of what Mary and Joseph went through when, when they received the news that they were going to be having the Messiah and how all of that went down as they weren't married yet. They were, they were to be married, but they weren't married yet. And they had to work through that struggle of, of how that looked in that day in that culture. And we discussed some of his childhood stories because it gives us a little bit of, of a, a look into Jesus' life and how even from the time he was a young child... He was pre preparing himself, or God was preparing him to become the person that he was going to become. Right When he, when he was left at the temple in Jerusalem for three days after his, his family left, and he sat there with, with the leaders and, and discussed things with them, he was learning, and, and he, was, he was sharing wisdom with the leaders who were there in the temple. And it said that he gained favor with both God and man in that moment, in that time. Last week we talked about some of the different temptations that Jesus faced, right? When, when he went out into the wilderness after he was baptized by John the Baptist in water, he went out into the wilderness where he was tempted for the next 40 days by Satan, by the devil who came and, and tempted him. And, and Jesus continued to fight against that temptation by using God's word. He kept using God's word to fight against temptation. <coughs> There was nothing that was going to be able to get Jesus to fall into temptation or, or the, the false promises that the devil was trying to give him. But we also talked about some of the miracles that Jesus performed. You know, he raised Lazarus from the dead, but we looked at one miracle we looked at is how he went from city to city, uh, synagogue to synagogue, preaching the gospel. And people were coming from all over to, to see Jesus and to bring those who were sick and lame and paralyzed to him that he could lay hands on them and heal them. And he was doing so. We talked about how he turned the water into wine at the wedding in Cana, which was the first miracle that he performed. And that kind of started off his public ministry that he had. And actually, when his mother Mary first said, well, Jesus, why don't you, why don't you turn that water into wine over there? Jesus said, well, the time hasn't come yet for me to be revealed, for my glory to be revealed. And all of a sudden, Jesus realized that the time had come for his ministry to begin. The time had come for people to begin to see who he was as the Son of God and to begin that, that time of ministry. And so that kind of brings us up to where we are today. As we said in our announcements, next week we have a couple missionaries that are going to be here sharing with us. And so I'm excited for Brandon and Rachel to come. They have uh, quite the story. Rachel, a young lady... Um, they're in their late 20s. She was diagnosed with lung cancer about two years ago, a year and a half ago. And she's a worship pastor 
And she actually had to get part of her lung removed. Um, but you're going to hear her next week when she sings. You would never have any idea that her lung has been partially removed. Because God has healed her and God has, has restored her. And so they're going to share part of that story. But they're also going to share the vision that God has given them for Thailand and, and where they're going as missionaries. And so just to let you know, I actually won't be here next Sunday. Uh, I'm going to be with Pastor Laura and helping her out. And so that was kind of already pre-planned because next week was the due date. And so we already had our missionaries coming in. So you won't see me here next Sunday. We have some missionaries and John Sunquist will be helping um, with different aspects of the service. And so just want to let you know about that. Then on Easter Sunday in two weeks, we're going to talk about the crucifixion and the resurrection. And then finally, the Sunday after Easter, we're going to talk about his ascension into heaven. Last week, I made mention to the fact that there's certain stories that are told multiple times throughout the Gospels. Right? There's different accounts of stories written in the Gospels. And this morning, one of the interesting things about the story that we're going to look at with Jesus being betrayed and, and all of this in the garden is that this story is recorded in all four of the Gospels. There's not many stories that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all recorded in their books. But this story about Jesus being betrayed, about his arrest, was shared in all four of the Gospels. As I said, that was not very common. But let us begin now by looking at how Jesus' betrayal played out. But before we do that, I want to I bring something up. As is common in every betrayal, there's a couple of things that need to be present. There's kind of, there's three parties that are present typically in a betrayal. There's a person who is being betrayed, right? So Jesus in this story is a person who's being betrayed. Another person that must be present is the person that does the betrayal, right? Which we know we're going to look at is Judas. But there's also a third person or third party that's often involved when it comes to betrayal. And that is the people who are affected by the consequences of the betrayal that took place. So we're going to look at that tonight. And that's, in this context, that's the disciples of Jesus. That's his family. That's those who had come around Jesus they were all affected as a result of the consequences of Judas's betrayal of Jesus. But in a broad sense, if you look at it, it's each and every one of us who walk on earth. Because as a result of Jesus being betrayed and the events that followed ending with his crucifixion and resurrection, we are offered the gift of salvation. A more modern example of this can be found in many movies, right? This makes for a good movie plot. Uh, uh, there's buildup and you've got the, these individuals who seem so close to each other and then for one reason or another one of them betrays the other one maybe it's power or pride or greed or whatever it may be and all of a sudden that relationship is ruined and there's so many people that are affected by it and actually it makes me think of one of my favorite childhood movies The Lion King right you've got King Mufasa who is the leader of the pride of lions. And his brother, Scar, all of a sudden gets this idea, hey, if I can get rid of Mufasa, I'm going to be the one who's going to be in charge of the pride of lions. And so for those of you who have seen the movie, you know what happens. There's a stampede that comes through, 
And Scar pushes Mufasa down into that stampede, and he dies at that time. And Mufasa, or uh, sorry, Scar, now becomes the king of the pride of lions. But not only did that affect Mufasa's family, it affected the whole pride of lions. Because once Scar got control, he came and, and he destroyed everything, right? He, he desolated the land. And so all of the rest of the lions had to pay for the consequences of one person's betrayal, right? So that's another example of what betrayal can look like. The three different groups of people that are often most commonly affected when it comes to betrayal. We're going to begin this morning by looking at Luke chapter 22. So if you'd like to turn there, you can feel free to do so at this time. We're going to look to scripture and see how Judas decided to betray Jesus by receiving silver in exchange for his arrest. Starting with verse 1 of Luke 22. It says, Now the festival of the unleavened bread, called the Passover, was approaching, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus, for they were afraid of the people. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve. And Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. They were delighted and agreed to give him money. He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. Last Sunday night at our, our prayer and worship time, we kind of looked at this story a little bit. We looked at one of the different accounts from the other Gospels. But you sit there and you go, how could Judas, who was one of Jesus' disciples, one of the twelve chosen, one who, who walked with Jesus and saw the ministry and saw all that Jesus had done and all that Jesus had shared with them, betray him. How could he turn his, his back against Jesus, against the Messiah? He was one of the disciples, as I said, who walked with him for, for three years. And now he had agreed to betray him for mere silver coins. Right? It wasn't even, he didn't even get paid a lot to betray Jesus. He betrayed him for next to nothing. Those 30 pieces of silver didn't have a whole ton of value to them. I made the comment on Sunday night, it wasn't like Judas thought, I'm going to pull one really big job, make a ton of money, and I'm going to be able to disappear. He betrayed Jesus for just a small amount of money. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Typically, we don't assume that those who are closest to us and have spent years with us, alongside us, living next to us, sharing life with us, that they're going to betray you. But that's exactly what happened here with Judas. This is what one commentary had to say about Judas agreeing to betray Jesus. Judas's part was to deliver Jesus to the leaders when there were no crowds around. They did not dare arrest, arrest him openly, lest they would be stoned by the people. Judas led them to Jesus after the city had fallen asleep. Jesus knew from the beginning that Judas would betray him. Why Judas was chosen is one of the mysteries of God's way. 
Judas may have thought that Jesus would use his miraculous power to deliver himself, yet in God's eyes, his deed was evil. For Jesus said it would have been better for him <coughs> excuse me, if he had not been born. Right? So it said, it, said that, it said that the devil came into Judas and then he went to the high court. He went to them. And so you, you look at that and you go, yeah, maybe the devil convinced Judas of saying, Judas, if Jesus is really the Messiah, if he is who he says he is, even if you betray him, he's going to be able to save himself. Like he's going to be able to save himself and take care of himself if that's who he truly is. Right? Sometimes Satan, he loves to take those partial truths and plant them in our head and in our heart. But there's a part truth and there's a part lie. And Satan's going, if I can get you to believe that part truth enough to do it, you're going to fall for the lie that's involved with it. Right? Satan is always trying to find a way to get into our lives by tricking us, by deceiving us. As we talked about last week, God did not choose to use his miraculous powers for personal gain, but only to help lead others towards God and the cross. Jesus knew that ultimately he was going to go to the cross, and that was why God had sent him to the earth, so that he could be the sacrifice for us. He knew that Judas was going to betray him. If you look earlier in the Gospel of John, it said that Jesus chose the twelve, and one of which he knew was going to betray him. I do think it's interesting that Jesus in Matthew 26 said that it would have been better for Judas' sake that he had never been born than to have lived and betrayed Jesus as he did. So now there's this period of time where Judas is just waiting now, right? He's went and he's agreed to turn Jesus over. But he's waiting for the right time to turn him over to the authorities. Because as it says, if, if they would have tried to just come and get Jesus in the middle of the day when all the crowds were around him, people would have been so upset. There would have been so much mayhem and disorder around this. That there's a good chance that those who came to arrest him may have ended up being beaten and stoned and, and their lives could have potentially been lost. And so Judas was waiting for the opportunity. And during that time, the, the Last Supper occurs. And one of the things that Jesus tells the disciples when they're at the Last Supper is that one of them is going to betray him. We're going to look at Mark chapter 14 now and his account of the Lord's uh, the Last Supper. Starting with verse 17 of Mark 14, it says, When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining at the table, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They were saddened, and one by one they said to him, Surely you don't mean me. It's one of the twelve, he replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Continuing on, it says, While they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks... He broke it and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take it. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. Truly, I tell you, I will not drink again 
from the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, or out to the Garden of Gethsemane. So every time I read through this passage in Mark, or one of the other accounts in the Gospels, I immediately think, what were the disciples thinking at this point? Right? What were, I mean, we know it says that they were all going, surely you're not talking about me. Surely it's not me that's going to betray you. And it's definitely not going to be one of the other disciples. None of us would ever do that. We love you and we've ministered alongside you. You have brought us to be alongside you in the work that you're doing. So which one of us could it be? I'm sure they had so many different thoughts going through their head. Probably thinking, well, you know, hey, I, I know Peter's weakness. I, I know John's weakness. I know Judas's weakness. You know, who, who could have, whose weakness is, is glaring enough that maybe we would know who would have fallen for something like this? Jesus, in the special way he always seems to work, then has the ability to just change the focus from whatever's going on to the cross. Right? He says, you know what? One of you is going to betray me, but it's okay because the cross is where I know I'm going anyhow. The cross is where I, I know that's why God sent me to this earth was to be sacrificed to create a new covenant. And that's where it goes in and it talks about Jesus says, my body will be broken just as the bread is broken. My blood will be spilt as a new covenant, which is symbolized in the drinking of the cup. He goes on and he tells them about that Jesus always has a way, no matter what's going on, to shift the focus back to what really matters, which is the cross, which is the sacrifice, which is eternity. And as Jesus is talking about the Lord's Supper, or as we often call it today, communion. He's explaining it to them. We, we, we observe communion on a monthly basis here at Chisholm Assembly of God as we remember the sacrifice that Jesus made, that God made in sending His Son and what that represents in the cup and in the bread. The Last Supper, our Lord's Communion, is one of the two ordinances of the Assemblies of God denomination with the other one being baptism in water by the Holy Spirit, or by immersion. But after Jesus shares in the Lord's Supper with the disciples, he then warns Peter of how he's going to deny him three times before the rooster crows, that you never even knew me. So after they finished in the upper room, Jesus took the disciples, as he often did, to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. He left eight of them near the entrance and then three more came closer to him, but then he went even further into the garden. Between times of praying, Jesus went to check on the disciples, the three that were near him, only to find them asleep, so he would wake them up. Say, I need you to continue to watch out for me. The time is coming. I know my days are drawing near to an end. I need you to keep watch over me. Twice Jesus returned to find them asleep again, before finally coming back a third time to let them know that the hour had come for his betrayal. And that's where we're going to pick it up in Matthew 26, starting with verse 47, looking at Matthew's account. It says, while he was still speaking, Judas, 
One of the twelve arrived. With him was a large crowd of armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. Jesus replied, Do what you came for, friend. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword and drew it out and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father, and he will not at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? But how then would the scripture be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? In that hour, Jesus said to the crowd, Am I leading a rebellion that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching, and you did not arrest me. But this has all taken place that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. Right, so we, we read here in Matthew's account in the garden of Judas coming. We see Judas, as Jesus had foretold, comes and betrays him. Just as he told him earlier in the evening. And so Judas, he leads these soldiers up to Jesus. And he comes and he says, hello, Rabbi. And he kisses him on the cheek, which was the signal that he had set to the, the soldiers that the one that I kiss is the man. Many times when we read through this passage, we focus on Peter, who's not named in the recording, right? Peter's the one who, who pulls out a sword and cuts off the ear of one of the men. We focus on Jesus' response about how those who live by the sword die by the sword. But Jesus then asks, he says, do you not think that I couldn't call down 12 legions of angels to save me right now if I wanted to? Right? Do you not think that I, I don't have the authority that if I wanted to not be arrested right now, I could make that happen in a flash? I have, I have all of that at my disposal. But he says, if that were the case, the prophecies would not be fulfilled. It was written that this is how it was supposed to happen. Right? There's hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament that talk about the Messiah that's going to come in great detail. About many of the things of his life and how he's going to be arrested and, and different things. And this was all exactly like it had been prophesied. Every prophecy that had been, had been written and told about Jesus was fulfilled. So Jesus understood this is how it has to happen. He's reminding Peter and the rest of his, his disciples who are still there that he was fulfilling God's plan for him. He was fulfilling the will that God had sent him to the earth to accomplish. Reminding them to stand strong in their faith and believing all that they had learned, all that Jesus had taught them, all that he had shared with them about how he was a Messiah and the Son of God. But the one thing that gets me to it, it, after Judas kisses him, Jesus says, do what you came here to do, friend. Jesus was just betrayed by Judas. A man who he had poured everything into for three years. 
And even though he was betrayed, even though there was heartbreak, he still called him friend in that moment. I think about that when people have maybe betrayed me or not even betrayed me, just frustrated me, maybe done something that displeased me. It's hard to turn around and say, it's okay, do whatever you came here to do, friend. You know, that's okay. But Jesus did. He responded. He still called Judas his friend. We're going to look now at John 18, 11, just one quick passage of Jesus. He commanded Peter, he said, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Right? That was, that's John's account. Saying, put your sword away. I'm just receiving what God has brought for me to do. I'm just accomplishing the will that God has sent me to do. I'm receiving the cup that the Father has given me. Jesus then goes back again to the illustration of the cup. As Jesus explained earlier in the Lord's Supper, that his blood was going to be poured out to make a new covenant. And that he's telling Peter right now to put his sword away. And let him be arrested for it's God will, God's will for him to be placed in the hands of the soldiers and arrested. Through prayer in the garden and in other times, Jesus had come to understand that his time to be put to death was quickly approaching. That it had come. And he was going to be obedient to God's leading. Once Jesus was under the control of the guards, the disciples ran off in fear. But I think about that when you're reading through the passage of Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, which we didn't read this morning. But as it said, the disciples fell asleep three times, right? And each time that Jesus was praying, he was praying and saying, God, if there's anything you can do to take this cup from me, I ask that you would. But if there's not, let your will be done. So Jesus is praying, realizing the time is coming for his death, which he knew was going to be by crucifixion, which was painful. It was brutal. It was one of the worst ways a person could be ever put to death. And Jesus is, is crying out and saying, God, if there's anything you can do, if there's any other way that the cup can be taken from you, please do. But if not, may your will be done. Right? Jesus, in, in his humanity, had to say, I don't care what my flesh is telling me right now. I don't care what, what emotions and what pain and what turmoil I'm walking through right now. I know, God, that ultimately this is what you've sent me to do. This is your will for me. And I'm willing to go through with that. Getting back to Peter and the idea of pulling out the sword and, and reacting, cutting the ear off of the soldier, which we know that Jesus then healed him. But how many times in our life when things don't happen exactly like we wish they would? Or maybe, you know, God, it just, God has a different way of doing something than what you were hoping he was going to do. And you just react brashly like Peter did. Right? You get upset, you get frustrated, and you pull that sword out. And you just start winging it around at whatever you're frustrated at. God is saying, no, no, no. If this is my will, accept it, right? If this is the cup that I'm giving to you, 
We need to accept it. We need to receive it openly, even though it may not be easy. Next week, we're going to pick up on, or in two weeks, pick up on Jesus as he's now in the custody of the rulers. But before we go this morning, I want us to end by focusing on where we began the message. One of Jesus' beloved disciples, who had spent years with him, allowed himself to become deceived by the enemy. Kennedy, if I could get you to come up and just play your guitar, please. We need to be careful in our lives that we do not allow the things of the devil to enter into our lives. The, 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 the false truths, the half-truths that the devil tries to plant in your heart and in your mind. We need to be careful to protect ourselves. Scripture says that above all else, guard our heart because out of our heart flows the wellspring of our life. We must protect and guard ourselves. We must be careful that in our lives we do not allow the things that the devil may try to whisper into our hearts to grab hold of us. Another thing that, that some of you may know and some of you may not, Judas was basically the treasurer of the disciples. He was the keeper of the money bag. And Jesus knew that Judas had an issue with money. That Judas at times would help himself to some of what the disciples, some of the offering that they had received, he would help himself to it. He would put it in his own pocket. And so Jesus knew he had an issue, and Satan knew that he had an issue, and he used it against him. He said, hey, Judas, there's a way for you to receive some payment. There's a way for you to receive what you love, which is money. And Judas fell for it. I don't know what temptation, I don't know what deception, I don't know what struggle it is that you have in your life, but whatever it is, I can promise you, Satan is going to try to grab hold of that and use it against you and use it against God. Just as he did with Judas who had a struggle with money. He tempted him by placing money in front of him. Judas wasn't protecting himself. He wasn't guarding his heart. Judas could have seeked help. Jesus knew. Some of the disciples knew the struggle that he had, but he never, he never looked for help. He never stretched out his hand and said, I need help. Somebody come and help me with the struggle. This morning I want to encourage you, don't struggle by yourself any longer. Because the longer you struggle alone, the more Satan's going to get a hold of you. And the harder it's going to be for you to defeat that temptation and that deception and that lie that your life is falling into. So this morning we're going to have a time of prayer. Myself and some of our leaders are going to be up here. And I want to encourage you this morning, maybe today is a day that you take a step forward and say, you know what, I need to stop fighting this alone. I need to stop trying to say that I can simply go to God. Yes, God can intervene. God can do whatever God chooses to do in His miraculous ways. But many times, we need help of other people. We need accountability of other people. Scripture also says that we are to confess our sins to one another. And as we do so, we can find freedom from our sins. We can find deliverance from them. So I want to encourage you this morning. Jesus gave everything for you. Everything. His life. 
for you. Jesus pleaded with God that if it was possible that he would remove the cup, that he would make another way for this to happen. And God said, this is it. This is it, Jesus. This is the way it's going to happen. And Jesus said, okay, I'm going to follow through with it. Each of us has been uniquely created to serve God in a special way. So the question I want to ask you this morning, God gave Jesus the cup of sacrifice, of going to the cross to be forgiveness and to create a new covenant for us. What cup is God giving you today? What is God asking you to do? What did God create you uniquely to do? Because what he created you to do is different than what he created me to do. It's different than what he created your spouse to do. It's different than what he created the person next to you to do. God created you uniquely for a purpose, for a reason. What is it? Maybe you know, and you're pursuing that, and you're already going after it. Maybe you don't know this morning. I want to encourage you. Maybe that's another point of prayer to say, you know what, I, I just, I'm not sure exactly what God is wanting me to do in my life. And so I want to just ask that God would give me clarity, that God would speak to me, that God would show me what it is, what the cup is that he has given for me. We thank you, Lord, this morning again for who you are. Father, as it says in this song, God, I thank you that you choose to come and dwell in our broken temples, in our brokenness, in our humanity and our sin you choose to come and dwell and live inside of us and you 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 repair our brokenness you restore our areas god where we where we have we've ruined ourselves we've made mistakes god we have separated ourselves from you you come and you fill those gaps not only do you fill them you strengthen our bodies god you come inside of us and you restore us you renew us you uphold us. Father, we thank you this morning for your word, for your truth. God, for your word that is, is 100% true. God, there's no error in your word. And we stand upon your word, the truth of God's word. That's where we place our faith and our trust is in you and holy you. Not in the things of this world, not in, not in the things of the flesh, but God, in you and who you are. God, I pray today that you would help us, God, to guard our hearts and our minds. That we wouldn't allow ourselves to become deceived or trapped as Judas did. To fall into the, the false truths that the devil tries to use. To manipulate us, to, to draw us in, to persuade us to do something. Father, guard and protect our hearts and our minds in Jesus' name. Father, I pray that when we come to situations maybe where we're like Peter, where we become frustrated or maybe we don't know what's going on, and we make brash decisions and we react to the things that are going on. God, give us your wisdom and your peace and your discernment. God, help us to understand the cup that you have given each of us what you have sent us to do, what your will is for each of our lives as it's unique and it's different. It's not the same for a single one of us. Just as Jesus was sent to go upon the cross 
and die for our sins and rise again three days later to defeat death and sin forever. God, you have a will and a plan for each and every person here this morning. And God, I pray that as we're obedient, as we follow you, Father, we would see that come to life. We would see that become a reality, that it would come to fruition. God, as I pray as we go out now, God, that you'd fill us with your strength and your boldness. God, to go forward and proclaim the good news of the gospel, that Jesus Christ came, that we may have life and have life to the fullest. Not just life that's okay, not just life that, that is day-to-day -day okay, but life that's full, life that has abundance, life that's overflowing with love and joy and peace, patience and goodness and kindness and self-control. God, we give you ourselves this morning. We open ourselves up to you. Father, have your way. I pray for safety now as we go out. Protect us on the road as we come and as we go. God, we know you go before us. You stay behind us. You protect us and you have your hand upon us. We thank you now in your holy and precious name. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen.